And welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm your host, James, and Brad is not with me today. And to tell you the truth, the reason I think he's not here is that the guest we have on today knows way too many secrets about our illustrious president. I give you, ladies and gentlemen, for your listening pleasure, the wizard of O-Week morning workouts, the doctor of indoctrination into One Link values, the monarch of cross-cultural skills mastery, the expert of O-Week experiences, you know him best as the Polish chief and the director of training at One Link International. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the man who eats, breathes, and sleeps training 365 days of the year. He's been involved with our organization for years, and recently, a few years ago, we were able to get him on staff, and we we're so pleased to do that. He's the one that controls uh, what we do at O-Week and thinks and plans the schedule and trains so many of our volunteers, and he's the one that designs our O-Week training so that we can know that our teams are as prepared as they can be to go and minister cross-culturally in areas that have the least access to the gospel and be effective there and be good team members and be valuable assets to the long-term field personnel there. Ladies and gentlemen, the Polish chief. Sir, welcome to the One Link podcast. Great to be here. It's good to have you here. So I've been uh, wanting to capture, you know, we've been in the process of capturing some O-Week stories and such. So I've been wanting to capture, you've been kind of a key figure in O-Week for a long time. So I just wanted to capture the life and times of the Polish chief, our listeners. We were starting a second ago, we were saying about where we would start in your story. And we decided we had to go like way, way, way back there, way yes. back there. <laughs> so let's start. I was asking you, so you, let's kind of go college time frame. So when you came to college, you were not a believer. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Yeah. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. How'd you, how'd you first come to faith? Well, I was actually a junior in school. What would have, sorry, before you say that, yeah. what, what would have been your viewpoint before that? How, how did you look at faith? Yeah. So probably if you'd have asked me, I would have said, you know, if you'd asked me, are you a Christian? I probably would have said, oh yeah, sure. But that had absolutely no practical reality in my life. Like I didn't go mm -hmm. to church, didn't read my Bible, mm -hmm. didn't really pray, didn't do anything. You know, I was kind of a cultural Christian, I guess you might mm -hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, okay. So then you were a junior in college and that was University of Nebraska? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Junior year. And basically my life was falling apart. Mm. I remember a series of events that were kind of like the culminating falling apartness. <laughs> so I remember it was Halloween of all, of all things. Mm. And the, I was living with a couple of guys in an apartment and they told me that they didn't want to live with me anymore. I was doing very poorly in my, my classes. I wasn't dating anybody. I just did a kind of a quick review of my life. And I, everywhere I looked, it was like bad. Mm. Nothing was going right. And so I had this inspiration. I thought, well, I'll go home and talk to my parents. And maybe they have some answers for me. And I only lived about an hour away. So I got in the car, drove home on that Halloween night. I think it was 1979. Tells you how old I am. Yeah. Went to my folks and kind of shared, you know, hey, things are not going well. Do you guys got any advice, counsel? And they really surprised me 
they said, no, we hmm. don't really have any advice or counsel. We love you, but you're going to have to figure this one out yourself. Hmm. So actually, I driving back home that night, I was pretty discouraged because I, I thought this is my last kind of shot. I bet. And so I thought, well, I'll just try to salvage this semester the best I can. Just kind of, you know, stick it out. Well, I had a friend that I'd known since junior high, Bill, and Bill was a Christian. Mm. And Bill had been inviting me to come to their, back then, it was Baptist Student Union meetings on campus. And I kept turning Bill down. I kept putting him off. But he was persistent. In fact, uh, he said, there's an upcoming ski retreat over Christmas break. Do you want to go? And I thought, well, that sounds kind of fun. I've never skied. But still, I never got back to him. And the deadline kind of came and went. And then I saw him again. I said, I guess I'm not going, Bill. I, I, you know, I didn't make the deadline. He goes, oh, no problem. I paid your deposit. <laughs> so you owe me 25 bucks whether you go or not. Nice. So he kind of twisted my arm. <laughs> And I went. And then at the retreat, I heard about this trip to Africa uh, that was coming up in like a year and a half. And my thought was, that is like the last thing I would ever want to do. Go mm -hmm. someplace in the middle of nowhere in Africa? No, thank you. But also, I don't know if I should shorten the story up or not, but I met, so the, the guy that invited me, Bill, his girlfriend, Deb, she was just a very kind, generous, servant-hearted follower of Christ. And the second day we were skiing, she said, I'm going to come ski with you newbies because, you know, the, the newbies, we all took classes the first day and just learned how to fall and get up. And yeah. So that was a real sacrifice because <laughs> she'd spend most of her time just watching us fall and get up and wouldn't do much mm. skiing. But she said she'd hang out with us newbies. So we were on that second day, we we're getting ready to go up on the mountain. And then she was putting her skis on and she was snapping her boots into her skis. And this is back in 79. And you had your boots adjusted, the bindings on your skis adjusted to the size of your boot. Well, hers hadn't fit the first day. So she'd gotten new ones that are size different. So she was snapping in one of her bindings, when she snapped in, tried to snap in, it wouldn't because it, they forgot to adjust it. So it didn't fit. So I said, I'll tell you what, Deb, I'll hang around and we'll go into the ski place and get it fixed. And so we went in, we had to wait a half an hour. Everybody else left. We never, you know, they just took off. So just Deb and I. So half an hour, we went in, finally got up to the bench, Put the guy put the ski on the table, the boot. Lined it up, snap, it fit perfectly. Mm. He goes, what's the problem? <laughs> and I was like dumbfounded. I thought I was standing outside right next to her when she was trying, when she was trying to snap it in. I saw that it didn't fit. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I honestly believe God performed a miracle to get us separated from the rest of the group. Mm. And this is why, because like I said, I didn't really think I thought I was a Christian, but then I was around these people who really were Christians and I began to see differences. Mm -hmm. So we went back outside, we got on the ski lift, we started up the mountain and Deb just in her natural, normal, everyday 
this is who I am as a person, said, you know what the most exciting thing in the world is? And I'm thinking, hang gliding, <laughs> jumping, you know. I said, no, Deb, what? She said, prayer. That was the last thing I would expect. <laughs> right. Because I'm, yeah. So she said, do you want to pray? I'm like, okay. So she starts praying like it is the most exciting thing in the world. She thanks God for the beauty of the mountains, the creation. It was beautiful. And she prays like that all the way up the mountain. And I think I have never heard anybody pray like that. This is unusual. So we get down, we ski down, we get on the lift again. So I say, hey, Deb, do you want to pray again? Because I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> and so she turns to me and says, okay, how about you pray? Wow. You know, for uh, really a, not, a, not a Christian, I mean, I, I don't even know what I said. I mumbled something out. <laughs> anyway, so that was what this whole day was like. We never did rejoin the rest of the group. We never found them. So just Deb and I spent the whole day together. And I observed up close what a real Christian was. A real passionate lover of Jesus. And that night, I went out by myself and I prayed and I said, Lord, I want to commit my life to you. And that's how I came to know Christ. Wow. That's pretty awesome. So then wh where did it go from there? So then I feel like that that trip that they were advertising to Africa is going to come back into play. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's going to come back. <laughs> So I began to grow as a Christian. I got involved in there on a Bible study. Uh, had a guy that started uh, meeting with me and helping me in my Christian life. And then this trip kept coming up, you know, it was coming up and they were asking people to pray about going. And as I began to submit my life to Christ and make him Lord of my life, I thought, well, I've got to put this on the table because mm. he's Lord now. It's not my decision. And so sure enough, time came and I thought I should apply. And it was even complicated because I was at the time painting houses and I was in the middle of a job and the interview stuff was coming up where you had to go away for a weekend to be interviewed. And I, I, had, I had these deadlines on this job and I didn't know what to do. So I talked to my roommate and uh, who was a believer and he says, well, I think you should ask the owner if you could do this interview and see if he would release you from your deadline for a few days. So I went and I talked to him. I don't think he was even a believer, but I was just very honest. I said, there's an opportunity coming up. You know, would you allow me to be gone for a couple of days? It'd be a couple of days later before I got your job done. And he said, I think that'd be a great thing to do. So I went and they accepted me and then ended up going to Zambia, Africa in 1980. Wow. Sure enough. Wow. And what did, what did y'all do there? That was a, a whole summer trip, I assume. Yeah. So we mainly did evangelism. Uh, we did do some discipleship training, but mainly it was evangelism. We'd go out. Well, we did a variety of things the first couple of weeks. Now, this is back before mission trips were a big thing. This is 1980. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. pretty rare. And so this group of Americans coming to Zambia was like, a nationwide thing <laughs> like we went on tv they mm. they interviewed us we had some in our group that could sing they sang some songs we shared our testimonies 
So we were like, I don't know, kind of like the Beatles coming to America. <laughs> we were the Americans coming to Zambia. And uh, so like wherever I went, it was like we were a, a known thing. Like, oh, it's mm. oh Americans. these Americans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we would go to like high schools and they would have a convocation and we would share the gospel. Mm. We'd sing songs, share testimonies, share the gospel. We'd go into villages. We'd go hut to hut and go in and share the gospel it was truly amazing that summer we saw 1500 people come to faith in christ wow just from this little group and what was even more amazing was about 10 years after that we were just i was brett and i who is our my director we were down at uh, southwestern for a meeting or something and we bumped into one of these missionaries that we had worked with back in 1980 and he said hey good to see you You know this is before the internet and everything Mm -hmm. and so you know uh, we lost track of him and so what happened after we left he goes oh god did amazing things because of your team and how the youth of zambia saw what you were doing and said we could do that we've started 150 new churches wow since you've been here because of what you started when you came. And I just thought, wow, isn't God amazing? Yeah. Isn't he amazing? Absolutely. That's, that is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So then where, where'd your, where'd your story go from there? So you, that was in college. I assume yeah. you, did you do another summer trip while you're in college or you're done, you graduated? No. That was it, because that was, yeah, I was near near the end of my time. So what I did was when I graduated, I, at this point, I felt like God calling me to the ministry. And so I kind of said, Lord, where do you want me to go? What should I do? And I heard about this thing called the Journeyman Program, Mm. which is a two-year missions opportunity to go overseas. And so I applied and was accepted and ended up going to Liberia, West Africa. Okay. And what was your time there like? What was? Yes, my formal job in the country was teaching in a government high school, teaching the Bible. By the <laughs> way, in Liberia, they didn't believe in this concept of separation of church and state. So, mm-hmm. anyway, for good or for bad, I was teaching Bible in a government high school, <laughs> and then I was discipling a number of young guys that were a part of our church, the local church there. And also guys that I met just at that school. Okay. Did some other things, helped lead some Bible studies out in villages, uh, but mainly working with these group of guys. That was kind of the heart of my ministry. Gotcha. And what, so then after two years, you came home, somehow you got involved in college ministry. Is that when that launched? Yes. So after I finished my journeyman term, Brett, who was the director there in Nebraska, asked me to come on staff with him. So I went and joined him on staff as an associate director and worked with him for seven years. Okay. And that's where Mrs. Chief of Police Polis came into view? She came into view. That's a whole other story. (laughs) (laughs) So we, we met when we were both college students in the campus ministry there. Okay. Interestingly enough, she came to faith in Christ a week within when I did. Oh, wow. But both 
kind of separate from each other, kind of parallel tracks. Uh huh. And so her faith journey and my faith journey kind of followed similar trajectories. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause we're in all in the same ministry, hearing the same stuff, doing the same things. And mm-hmm. she, she even went as a journeyman a year behind me. She was a year younger than me. Okay. So she went to Nigeria okay. for two years as a nurse and taught at a nursing school there. But anyway, we corresponded through the mail. We wrote mm-hmm. lots of letters because yeah. we just started dating right before I left. Okay. And I remember Brett asking <laughs> Good timing. Me, yeah. <laughs> I remember Brett asking me, so Kevin, what's this like fourth quarter, fourth down play here at the end of your college <laughs> career, you know, with Emily? And I said, honestly, I, I, it just, I feel like that's how God has led. I didn't, wasn't planning to like string her along or anything. It was just like, back. I it wouldn't even probably happen, but I had developed a hernia, which delayed my leaving by about six weeks. Mm. And it was in those six weeks that I actually started dating her. her. And so, so I was like, I took her out a few times and then said, I got to go. Yeah. And yeah. we were both cool with that. But anyway, so we corresponded through the mail, wrote a lot of letters and then eventually really felt like the Lord was leading us to get married. So on my way home, she was already in Nigeria, been there for a year. My term was up. On my way home, I stopped to see her and then proposed. Mm. Wasn't sure if that totally met and followed with (laughs) IMB policy, but uh, the director of our training, he liked us both and he didn't seem to have an issue with it. So felt it was all good. (laughs) Yeah. All's well that we, ends well. Yeah. We didn't change our marital status. Yeah. And we didn't date there because I was gone. <laughs> right. She was there. So, right. Anyway. Right. And you're still writing letters. That's right. Yeah. Gotcha. So when did, uh, so then you, sorry, you, you were with Brett for seven years and then you guys, what made you decide to, to move up to where you are now? Okay. So this is part of the story we didn't touch on, but somewhere along there, when I was a college student, we went to a missions conference. I just really felt like God speaking to me. And so I went forward when they had like the altar call. Mm. And I said, I just want to commit myself to whatever the Lord has. If it's missions, whatever it is, I'm 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 in. And so felt some kind of a call uh, related to missions. So after we finished uh, our journeyman, came back, we're working with at Nebraska for seven years. We got married when she got back from her term. I uh, was at Nebraska for seven years, and I also attended seminary okay. during that time. Part-time, I'd go to, mainly during the summers. So after seven years, I finished my seminary degree, <laughs> got my uh, Master of Divinity, and then we applied to go back overseas as full-time career missionaries, and so started that process, but got turned down because I had a medical condition. Mm. that they didn't want to ha- me ha- to have going. It wasn't so much that it was life-threatening or anything. It was more, I think, financial, because at that time, the board was pretty tight financially, and so they weren't taking anybody that had any pre-existing health conditions. Gotcha. So I thought they got it wrong. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. I even appealed the decision, because I didn't have a plan B. Mm-hmm. And so... But then the appeal came back, still rejected. Mm. So that door closed. 
And so we just said, Lord, we're willing to do whatever you want us to do, but that door seemed closed. Mm-hmm. So a couple months later, a mutual friend, Larry Woods, who's the campus director up at Michigan State, he approached me. He says, well, why don't you come to Michigan? We could use somebody at the University of Michigan. So we prayed about it, thought the Lord said yes. So that's where we moved. So I like to tell people here in Michigan, you know, we were on our way to Africa and ended up in Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) We won't use you for directions. That's right. Yeah. When did you get involved then with OneLink? So John, who uh, started OneLink, formerly with another name. Yeah, we charge an extra dollar every time you slip and call the old name. So he had gotten Brett and Bob involved in helping in the early days of uh, that organization. <clears throat> so it was actually Brett who gave me a call, who was my had been my campus director and I'd worked with for seven years. Mm-hmm. He said, well, Kevin, why don't you come help us with this training? We could use you. So I said, okay. So I went out and showed up. They said, you know, we could really use you as a, a, as a polis officer. Uh, they, they, they called them security officers back then. but And they were just kind of starting this security officer thing. It was really in its very new, very beginning stages. They handed me a T-shirt and they said, let's go. <laughs> so there, there was no training. There was, it was kind of on the job training. Yeah, training. Yeah. So put on the T-shirt and then acted like a security uh, officer. And it was kind of wild and crazy back in those early days. Got to admit. Yeah. What year would that have been roughly? That's a great question. And one that I've often tried to struggle with because I didn't, the first few years I didn't get in the group picture. And so I'm trying to figure out Uh, uh it would some, it'd probably been sometime in the late nineties. Okay. But I I don't know the exact year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Whether it's 79, 78 or 90, 98, 99, somewhere in there. Okay. Late nineties. And what? Yeah. So you said it was the wild west then. Yes, Uh, sir. It, it seemed like we would try to, we'd throw something on the wall, throw something at a wall and see if it stuck. And if it did, then we'd say, that's good. If it did, then we'd say, oh, let's not do that again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. If you want to have noodles on the wall, you got to throw, you got to right. throw spaghetti at it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then when, so at this point in time, you're not sending any teams yourself. You're just helping as a volunteer. Well, actually, no, we had started sending students. Okay even before I started helping. Okay. So what, what did it look like for you as a campus minister to start sending teams? Because you started, there was no campus ministry going on when you went to Correct. University yeah. of Michigan, so, right? Well, there was two students that had been in a previous minist- campus ministry Okay, kind of run out of the local church there. So we started with those two and then started, reaching out to students, you know, doing evangelism, outreach, start building a group. Mm-hmm. And a few years into that process, you know, missions is still on our heart, had been all along. Remember that calling? Yeah. So we wanted to send students, you know. Uh, and so we started to do that through One Link and its former shape and form. Yeah. And then when, so when in this I know Brad went through your ministry. 
Yes. The president. He when did. did. When did you begin training the president for <laughs> his... Uh... You know, and again, I'm terrible on dates. I can't remember what year it was, <laughs> but I think he was a freshman. I do remember meeting him because we were doing one of our outreaches there in the in the uh, dormitory he lived in. We had set up a little table at the bottom of the stairs from the dining hall. And we had a little information table. Plus, we had my wife's wonderful chocolate chip cookies. Mm. World renowned. If that won't draw you to Christ. That's right. And we're tempting students with chocolate chip cookies to come talk to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or enticing, maybe. Enticing. Enticing. So he came by, got a cookie. And I think one of our students started talking to him. And the rest is history. Yeah. Gotcha. So how have you seen, as you, as you begin volunteering, how have you seen uh, One Link's training change over the years? Or even sending teams oh, change over the years? Yeah, so a lot. Like I said, in the early days, it was kind of trial and error. I mean, good, good intentions. <clears throat> and I think we started, one of the guys that helped in that initial stages was actually in the military, and so we started kind of from this military because we didn't, none of us knew anything. Yeah. Yeah. There kind of was no truth. He seemed to know something, yeah. <laughs> at least how the military did things. Yeah. So yeah, we started off with kind of a real military like approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I, I talked to Brett one time about this and like basically like no, no one was sending college teams at that time or like that was kind of like the, the beginning of it. And so there was also corresponding like no real training either. Because no one had right. done it. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely in the early days of people doing that kind of stuff. And if they were sending teams, it was, yeah, the training was pretty minimal. Yeah. Gotcha. So you jump and in so, with this military guy. Yeah. So, so, and he was helping with the, the security end of things. And then it was kind of a combination of border patrol agent, soldier, foreign affairs official kind of combo. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, we were trying to recreate some of the tension you experience when you travel overseas, uh, some of the uncertainty, sometimes some of the no-win situations, mm -hmm. some of the things you run into. And so that's kind of what we were doing. It was kind of a grab bag. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, we did want to try to help students operate in that kind of environment. So it was kind of a We'll create a situation so they have to be comfortable operating in kind of a stressful situation. Mm -hmm. But it was some of it was pretty crazy. It'd be like we'd have them go do weird stuff like the lake needs to be stirred. So go out there and stir the lake. And they're like, well, why do we do that? <laughs> because it just needs to happen. And you say, well, where, how does that apply to anything? Well, overseas, sometimes you're asked to do things you don't understand. So it was, that was kind of like, you know what I mean? Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> or we'd wake him up in the middle of the night and have some kind of a fire drill or something. Yeah. And again, we just keep him off balance and yeah. so on and so forth. One of my wife's memories from, from uh, a week, because she'd have been somewhere in that, that late 90s time frame, was they like had to switch rooms in the middle of the night. And she was like, this is so stupid, you know? And then sure enough, that summer, they were there and uh, the they were staying at a university and sure enough, the university comes and it wasn't the middle of the night, but it was like in the evening. They're like, I'm sorry, we're going to need you to move over to these other dorms. 
essentially somebody more important than you is here and they need these rooms. <laughs> and yes. so she was like, oh, well, I, I guess that one, that one paid off. Sure enough. Yeah. Yeah. So we did stuff like that. Uh, but then, so as time passed, I, it, I think kind of a defining moment and, you know, leadership changed over time as it often does. And so at some point, John asked me to take over and lead the security force as it was called back then. And so I got to thinking, we're having these volunteers come in and do a pretty complicated thing with no training. Mm. I really, so I asked John, I said, John, <clears throat> could I bring in my volunteers a day ahead of time and have some training for them? He said, sure. So that's kind of what started training of our volunteers. And it was really helpful. So we just began to work on that and try to improve it. I remember after one year, so it's about a 16-hour drive from Michigan mm. to uh, Salina, where we do our training. And so on the way home one year, I said I had several of the guys that helped me with the training. Either they were staff members and stuff. I said, let's, let's kind of debrief and process everything we're trying to do and write it down because it's all fresh. So we had a laptop with us. So for that 16-hour drive, we just went through everything that we tried to do at the training. And we came up with 120, what we called competencies or areas where we wanted certain skill to be evident. Things like keep track of your passport or know how to start a conversation with a national. Things like this. These are so we came up with 120 of these. Some of them are based on the one link values, and some are based on the thematic parts of the day as we do training, because the, there's thematic parts of the day based on different parts of the world. And so we came up with these 120 competencies, and that gave us an idea of what we're trying to see students get some skill in and where they might be lacking. And so it became for us kind of a, a grid, if you will, to kind of evaluate how they're doing. And so that was really helpful. It, it gave our volunteers a real, you know, a guide, if you will, of mm -hmm. what we're trying to do. And then we also began to uh, do a lot of role playing ahead of time. Mm. So there's you can, you can go on uh, YouTube and there's great videos of Border Patrol agents as they're questioning people coming through. And so we began watching some of those and seeing how they conducted themselves, the kind of questions they asked, how they worked together. And we began to model ourselves kind of after Border Patrol agents in real life. And I think that really kind of upped the game for us to a professional level and more realistic of what they're going to experience when they travel overseas. What would you say if you're going to highlight like the top three things the Polish are trying to accomplish so one would be STS, which there's different, it's an acronym. I, there's different ways people do it. I, I like kind of short, true statement. Yeah. But it's, it's basically the reason why you're traveling in that country. If you get asked like at a border crossing or by a police officer, it's your answer. Mm -hmm. And so we have found as students have traveled overseas, they get questioned either as they're entering the country or even while they're in country. And it may not even be just 
officials. It might even be some of the nationals they're talking to and so forth. And they need to have an answer that's true. It's short, true statement that's short, but also doesn't get anybody in trouble like themselves or maybe their host they're staying with. And so one of the things we do then, as now we call ourselves polis, polis officers, is ask these kinds of STS questions to students to help them practice saying their story of what they should be saying when they're traveling. So that's one thing. A second thing is the one link values. So we want people to know them. We want people to live them out. And so we do a variety of things to help them learn those values, to practice those values and, uh, you know, exhibit them in their life. I'd say a third thing is hold teamwork. On, hold on Wait real to... quick on that one. Yeah. When did when did the one link values get solidified? And was that something that was early on in the process or is that something when did those come into play? I would say early in the process, because I, I can't even remember a time we didn't have them. OK. They were, you know, it seems like they've always been there. Maybe they haven't, Mm -hmm. but as far as I can remember, they've always been around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think John and the staff there had come up with them at some point. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. And so then the third thing. Third thing, teamwork. So one of the things we've seen over the years as we've sent out teams is the greatest challenge they'll have is working together as a team. You know, how do you resolve team conflict? How does the leader lead well and the team members follow well? You know, how do they gel as a team, et cetera, et cetera. So teamwork. So that's another thing we really try to work on as polis officers by putting them in different situations and observing how are they doing as a team. Mm. And then if we see some things that cause concern like, well, there's somebody on this team that's dominating and the team leader is not able to lead. Then we'll intervene in some creative ways to try to help that team member follow that team leader and help that team leader really lead well. I was trying to think, can you give us, give me an example of that? Or is that something you, give, that you, gotta, you gotta, yeah, exactly. <laughs> is that something you gotta, you gotta pay to play or uh, can you give me an example of something like that? Sure, I'll, I'll give you an example. So Real simple one. A lot of times, if you got a dominating team member that's over talking over the team leader, you just mute them. Mm. We usually give them, uh, we give everybody like a, um, like kind of a blindfold to use at different times in the training. And we just have them put it on over their mouth and say, you just lost your voice <laughs> and you can't talk. I remember one time a very creative officer came up with this one. Again, similar situation. This team member was very verbose and constantly talking. And it, you know, made it difficult for the team leader to lead. So he said to this student, from now on, for the rest of today, you can only speak in nouns. (laughs) And that was so effective because he had to really think about what he was going to say and had to choose it carefully. It slowed his speech way down. Yeah. And uh, he, at the end of the day, he said, you know, that's one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it was so helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it helped me realize how I just kind of run at the mouth and blah, blah, blah. And so it made me really think about what I was going to say. That is really interesting. I was definitely, 
because uh, you know this was my first this last year was my first time to ever be at O week, and I came out of a, a military background as well, and so it's like I was really impressed with the the creative ways everybody but the polo specifically were working to to coordinate things and to to do training in creative ways. It was it was really impressive. Tell me a couple of stories. What are some things you've seen God do uh, in students' lives, volunteers' lives, your life? Yeah. So the way I see it is we kind of create this laboratory of learning, right? Called All Week. And then we so we have our game plan. It's not like we don't have a plan, but then God shows up. And we're just like in awe of what God is doing and how he takes situations and, and things and just does amazing things. So I remember one one story. Well, I mean, I could tell a lot of stories, but one one that stands out. There was this uh, couple that went through with a baby, of all things, in training, <laughs> and uh, he was a big guy. I mean, he was probably six five, six seven, probably three hundred pounds. I mean, he was a giant of a man. As with not everybody, but a lot of people who are big physically like that he kind of dominated you know and kind of used that a little bit uh he had kind of an attitude to be honest and i remember the first day as people were going through arriving at our airport terminal and they were going his team was going to the get checked out at the health department and i was walking behind them and he didn't know that and so he was he had a real kind of sarcastic attitude and he walked by a drinking fountain. And he says, well, that's probably poison, too. And I said, excuse me. And he turns around and sees that I'm an officer. I said, what did you say? Oh, I didn't say anything. I said, I heard you say that you thought you're going to get poisoned by drinking the water of our drinking fountain. Oh, no, no, I didn't say that. And so, you know, right away, we got an attitude. We got, you know, we got different stuff going on. And he was, he kept being like this. And so I went and got one of our tried and true officers, Officer Joe. Joe is much shorter, but he's like a bulldog. Yeah. You know, he's kind of like your drill sergeant type. And so I said, Joe, can you kind of get this guy's attention? Because he's got an attitude. And Joe said, no problem. Well, since this guy's a good foot, foot and a half taller than Joe, Joe goes and gets a chair and stands on it so he can look down <laughs> on the guy. <laughs> and he says, and begins to question this guy about a few things. Well, anyway, that kind of stuff went on throughout the week. And so we got in his face and called him out on some stuff when we saw attitude and sarcasm. And then... I, you know, I didn't know whatever happened on that team, kind of lost track of him. And then the following year, I get a message. You know, different people like to volunteer and do this the next year. And I got a message from him that he wanted to volunteer. So I called him up on the phone. I said, and I was trying to remember who exactly it was. And then mm -hmm. it came to mind who he was. And I thought, he wants to volunteer. I don't know how that ever <laughs> played out. I know at the beginning of the week, it wasn't going well, but I never saw how it ended up or whatever. So I was talking to him on the phone and I said, well, tell me, you know, how did things go? And, you know, how, what's God been doing in your life? And he goes, you know, a week was monumental in my life. It began, it set me on a new journey. 
I'd never had godly men confront me about my pride and arrogance. Mm. And uh, I've begun to work on that ever since. It's been, it's helped my marriage. It's helped my parenting. And I want to give back because it is, you know, it's changing my life. It just, it just started the process. And I've been pursuing that since then. Wow. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. I didn't even know that happened. Yeah. Uh, another time I was out kind of circulating, just seeing, you know, what's going on. And I come across one tribe where one of my officers has uh, all the students doing all these exercises. And I'm kind of wondering, okay, I wonder what's going on here. So I just stop and observe for a bit. He's got one student that he had asked a pretty simple question. He just said, I want you to say something you appreciate about somebody or about the people on your team. That seems like a pretty straight up question, right? Yeah. It's not that hard. Yeah. He couldn't do it. Hmm. And I'm like, well, that's kind of odd. But something in him was broken. Hmm. And he couldn't express appreciation to somebody. And he tried to, he did kind of a half-hearted, well, okay, so-and-so, Susie, you did a good job today. And he said, uh, no, that doesn't cut it. It has to be something specific. And he couldn't do it. And so what was going on here is he was having the rest of the tribe do exercises until, until he, could. he could do it. And so he's putting pressure on him to do this and they're suffering but he's causing their suffering you know what i mean mm -hmm. uh, i know it's kind of a dicey thing to do and we don't necessarily do that anymore to that extent but um anyway god used it because mm -hmm. all of a sudden and he was a big athletic kind of guy i think part of it is i don't know if he'd ever really been in touch with his emotions he was all all his physical you know now we're asking him to kind of get in touch with some of his emotions to express some appreciation to somebody on his team. So finally, he squeezed one out, you know, and something pretty simple about, you know, Shannon, I appreciate that you filled our water bottles. And that was just real servant hearted kind of thing. And so then this officer tells one of the teams on this tribe, OK, you can stop. You don't have to keep exercising. And so one by one, he just and he was breaking down doing this. He was like mm. tears streaming down his cheeks as he's saying just simple words of affirmation to his teammates. That changed his life. Mm. You yeah. know, talking to him later, he said, that was a breakthrough for me. I couldn't do it. And then you guys showed me I could do it. And then it just, yeah, it's just like the gates broke open. Mm. And so that was a powerful freeing moment for him. And his whole countenance was different. There was joy on his face, you know, just a real life-changing kind of thing. Yeah. And you wouldn't ever think about that kind of things. You wouldn't think about addressing those kind of things in a mission. Like I'm going to a missions training. Like yeah. you're not expecting that. But but really, I mean, that's a the character character that we have or the the flaws the brokenness in us that gets treated you know makes a huge huge difference i think yeah 
Do you got time for one more? I, I've got time for one okay. more. Okay. This is my favorite. And Brad was in on this one. Mm. And Joe. Mm. So this was like when I was first starting to lead. And back then, on that particular year, we had a different, we had like a different Polish chief for each tribe. So okay. <laughs> I was Polish chief of Yellow Tribe. And my officers were Joe and Brad, the, the men were. And so we had a group of guys. And this is when we did kind of still a little bit of crazy stuff. But we had gotten these guys up in the middle of the night and made them switch rooms. So I'd, I'd get, I, we'd gotten up and said they had to switch rooms. They had five minutes to get it done. And if they didn't get it done, there was going to be some kind of penalty. So these guys are rushing around, you know, just out of dead sleep, switching stuff around. They got, they got it done. But then, you know, kind of hard-nosed Polish chief, I walk in and I grab the trash can. I said, is this your trash? You didn't switch your trash. So you get, you're, you're, you're getting penalized. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they're kind of glaring at me. And what we, we made him do was run up and down the stairs in the dining hall mm -hmm. uh, 10 times. And so they, as a team, they'd have to run down, run up. And then the other guys would call out the reps for them. Like, one, two, three. And so then we put them back to bed. Well, we did that every night that week. We'd go oh, in and wow. we'd get a different team out for some reason and make them run the stairs. It, was, it became a thing. And, you know, by the end of the week, you know, and people weren't real happy about getting woken up in the middle of the night and running up and down the stairs. And you say, that's kind of cruel. That's kind of weird. Yeah, honestly was. But uh, at the end of the week, something special was developing between the guys themselves and us as their officers. It's kind of like we're going through this difficult thing together. I mean, apparently they are, but <laughs> <laughs> we're witnesses to it. It was, it was a bonding experience for them. But anyway, so we had the commissioning. The commissioning was over. And then I called ever all the guys from that tribe. I said, "Hey, all you guys from Yellow Tribe, come over here." And they're all, you know, everything route of roll. It's all done. I said, "You guys thought this was over, right? It's not. Meet me in the dining hall." So they all go over there. And they're like, oh, "What's going on? You know, this is over." You know. And I said, "There's one last group that has to run these stairs, and that's." brad joe and i and you guys call out the reps <laughs> so we ran the stairs they called out the reps and i mean it was like pandemonium it was like celebration yeah. they there was such release yeah every one of those guys gave us a hug thanked us one guy had all these piercings all over his face and at some time during the week i just said hey you know as you travel overseas do you think that might hinder the gospel that's all i said and he was kind of defiant. He was going to keep him in. It was, you know. And when I came to him, he came up to give me a hug and he said, I'm going to take these out before I go overseas because I don't want to hinder the gospel. Gave me a hug. I just thought, wow, that's yeah. a that's a win. That's yeah. a win. It absolutely is. God does some amazing things. What about you? What about you personally? What has God done in you as you've volunteered and ran these things? And how's God shaped you? He's broken me many times, honestly. I tell our volunteers, you know, a, a week isn't just for the students. You're going to meet God here. And it may be, it may be tough. 
because he may reveal some things in your life that need revealing. I think all of us that's happened with, and this is what people don't see behind the scenes, but you know, I'll have officers off in a corner weeping about something, you know, as God has revealed something. I think some things that I've seen revealed in my own life is selfishness, self-centeredness, wanting attention of others, you know, wanting to be, you know, look, looked at well and thought of well, and just all this stuff that gets revealed and uh, just have to get on my face before God and confess, oh God, forgive me. Yeah, it's nasty in there. Jeremiah was right when he said the heart is deceitful beyond all things and beyond cure because I've got one. So yeah, I definitely, almost every year in some different way, I'm confronted with my own fallenness and need need of a savior. I can understand that. I've only had one under my belt, but I can understand <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Well, I really appreciate you coming on here. Fellow listeners, if you'd like to see behind the scenes with the Polish chief, the best way to do that is to volunteer with us. It's really a great experience. Uh, a lot of credit goes to you. I was trying to think uh, when I was originally thinking of like titles for this, I was like, like the wizard of training or something. I think they just, <laughs> Kevin eats, breathes, sleeps. There's, I think, 364 days a year. Maybe you take the day after. <laughs> after a week off. But anyway, we really appreciate it. I've really, really enjoyed working with you. Look forward to having another, another a week together this coming year. And I appreciate you sitting and visiting with me here. Any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, we're always looking for some great volunteers and people say, so do you try to look for those like real scary kind of types? And I said, actually, no. What I'm looking for are lovers of Jesus who love students. Mm -hmm. That's who I want. Because they can play a role. They can pray, play a tough guy or tough gal, but their heart is in the right place. Mm -hmm. And that's who I'm looking for. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, thank you so much. You bet. It's been great to be here. Wow, wasn't that great? So for you, eager listener, if you would like to volunteer with us, there's a couple of ways to go about doing that. The first thing to do is if your contact info is not up to date with us, make sure you reach out to the office and update it, and we can reach out to you that way. But also, if you just go to our webpage at onelinkinternational.org and you scroll down a little bit, kind of in the middle of the page, there's a section that says volunteers want to serve with OneLink. Would love your help. Sign up. So if you will go there and click on that, you can put some information in, and we would love to have you. This year, we're going to be putting on O-Weeks as well as uh, team leader trainings, TLTs, in three locations. We're going to be in California, we're going to be in Kansas, and we're going to be in North Carolina. So we need help at all those locations. And if you would like to help, come sign up with us. We would love to see you there. Thanks. Thanks.